Hello and welcome to episode 287 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. It was a slightly higher energy intro than yesterday. I don't know if it should have been or not. I don't know if it deserved higher energy. We, if you haven't listened to it already, did a uh, semi-emergency pod on the State of the UW football program. And now we're doing a semi-emergency pod on the State of the UW basketball program. Yeah, in ca- men's basketball. Men's basketball. basketball, they already made the change. Uh, in case you needed a reminder that football is not the worst of <laughs> UW's revenue sports. The men's basketball team provided that in Tuesday oh. that. So things are going great. Thanks for asking. Oh. But we'll get to that. We've got a lot else to get to. It's a jam-packed, like, with college basketball season starting, there are all of the sports are happening in Seattle right now. Every sport. Not just some of the sports, all of the sports. Except for the Mariners, who I now like. But yeah. there's an update on the Mariners. Hello! There's news there on that There we go. Well. And to discuss this, as we discuss this, we will be drinking from our <laughs> I say you said to discuss this as if there was, <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so, uh, somebody was coming <laughs> in here, like, and introducing. <laughs> Please welcome in Mrs. Fantasy Genius. Uh... This week's beer, the Double Mountain Killer Juicy Fresh Hop IPA, which I hate to break it to you, is from the, the Hood River Valley. Oh, no. A dense tropical rainforest drips with sticky, delicious mango, ripe summer peach, light cannabis, and deep orange with hops this fresh from the Willamette Valley. Mm. Not the fresh hop region of Washington. <laughs> the decision to make this beer was the right decision, clearly. It's a hop IPA. You, you disagree. It was a good decision to make this beer. It's not from the fresh hop region of Washington State. It's just a hop IPA. That's nice. It's nice. Well, uh, fortunately, you will not be partaking in any way this evening. So uh, I'm going to be doing this on my own. Uh, a few toasts to get to because there are some good things that happened in Seattle sports. There we go. It or not, despite the cracking curse as first, as first invented or unveiled discovered unearthed on this podcast the kraken curse yeah what is the kraken curse exactly break this down for me you told us about the kraken curse why are you asking me i thought that it was Coldplay who'd cursed people oh you're right it was Coldplay, wasn't it <laughs> I, I don't think it was specifically the kraken but i'm fine with the kraken curse that the second that the kraken existed as a franchise every other seattle sport has to go go badly yeah, I think at least once they started playing games. I, although the you know football season did start before that. Did the Mariners missing the playoffs coincide with Kraken preseason? <sighs> That's a good question. I I think it did. I think they might have. Judging by the Kraken curse, the answer is yes. Uh, well, I I do not care to take the research to determine that one. Well, we can go to the research right now. In the time period that the Kraken have been playing games, the Mariners missed the playoffs, a thing that almost never happens. Oh, wow, yeah, very rarely. We've got a Russell Wilson injury. The, the Mariners won more games than the World Series champion and missed the playoffs. Now that, that does there we go. rarely happen. We've got Russell Wilson being injured for the first time in his career, missing a start for the first time in his career. Thanks, Kraken. Uh, we have the UW football program at their lowest point since probably the Tyrone Willingham era. Yes. Uh, we have uh, 
UW basketball. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't even know. I, I, and also, the Kraken aren't even good. Oh, no. Well, we've got some Kraken analysis coming up here later. But anyways, some good things happen worth toasting. We can't even Mostly. get into cookies. Our number, our number one chicken seed is just unavailable for a month. Coming soon. Coming soon. Coming soon is the update on Instagram. So they've got a, they've got a permit. Things are processing. They're moving in the right direction. But the Sounders did with their sixth consecutive non-win on Sunday. That's un- thanks, Kraken. <laughs> Still claimed the Cascadia Cup trophy with Sunday's one-one draw. Wow, Vancouver Whitecaps. In the Kraken curse era, you you make it to the playoffs by drawing with Vancouver <laughs> and celebrate that. They've held that Cascadia Cup. Uh, which obviously is the rivalry, the Darbies against Vancouver and Portland since the 2018 season, winning the last three with no Cascadia Cup awarded last season due to the pandemic. They are the first team to ever win the Cascadia Cup three times in a row. Wow. Incredible. So, to the Sounders. Uh, to This so- thing that's so completely made up. Even in, in a society where everything is made up, the Cascadia Cup is somehow even more made up. Those hops are juicy. Oh yeah, hops are hops are a construct. But the Cascadia Cup is somehow even more of a construct. Fresh hops are even more <laughs> of a construct. <laughs> to uh, Stormguard Sue Bird, who was awarded the Anti Defamation League's inaugural Changemaker Award, uh, say said this award is given to those who use their platform to affect positive change in the world. Sue's game on and off the court is an advocate, makes her more than deserving. So. Kudos to her. And then also to former Storm teammate Crystal Langhorn, now the team's director of community engagement, who's going to be inducted into the Maryland Maryland Athletics Hall of Fame this weekend. Langhorn was a member of the Terrapins 2006 National Championship team and a two-time All-American. And the Storm were eliminated from playoff contention after <laughs> the Kraken no, that, started playing. That, I'm pretty sure that happened before the Kraken. Well, yes, it was literally hours before they played their first preseason game, now that I think about it. Hmm. So they knew the it was coming. Day. It was the same day. Wow. God. I mean, Coldplay has really been let off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Many of these things happened before Coldplay played. <laughs> I don't know when the Coldplay show was announced, though. Uh, something that's not bad that's happening in Seattle, continuing to happen in Seattle, is Lil Woody's Fast Food Month. There we go. It's week two. The Sourdough Woody, plus, crucially, curly fries from Lil Woody's, which, once again, a plea. Let's just make the curly fries permanent. They are in a tremendous addition to the Little Woody's menu. You're really a huge curly fries fan. They are probably my number one type of fry when they wow. do the, like, which which version of fry do you pick? Uh-huh. Curly fry, to me, is undefeated. Uh-huh. I like a lot of The bunch of pictures of fries. of fries that's just for engagement but no other purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I mean, what the hell is this podcast? It's for engagement but no oh, other purpose. Oh, this is mind-opening. <laughs> Mind-expanding oh, podcast. No one had ever conceived a crack. A lot of critical first. thinkers here on the podcast. Oh, dear. Oh, that was the, that's the first That's the first Aaron Rodgers reference. We'll keep a running tally throughout this podcast. Oh, I was going to co- keep coming back to the thanks cracking thing. <laughs> We're going to do a running tally. That yeah, time. yeah. Before before the, the Kraken played a game, Aaron Rodgers was immunized. <laughs> <laughs> Had not been fired. After, after the cracker, after the Kraken played a game, Aaron Rodgers is an anti-vaxxer. Oh dear. Uh, anyways, had that this morning from or this this for lunch today from Low Woody's. Delicious as always. The sourdough, like the sourdough Woody part of it, it's not 
It's not a burger I've ever had from Jack in the Box, the sourdough Jack. You've never once had a sourdough Jack? Never once. I mean, wow. I've also never had a Baconator because wow. obviously I'm strictly ordering from the 4 for 4. I know. It really is tough Wendy's. when they have the 4 for 4, probably the, the, greatest, the greatest deal in all of fast food. In fact, of the ones they do with specials, I've never had a. I don't think I've ever had a Crunchwrap Supreme. So the the Big Mac is the only one of the actual fast food burgers that I've ever had in its original incarnation. I've had very few of all of those other items. Like I've had maybe one Baconator in my entire life. I'm not a Crunchwrap fan, for the record. You, uh, you made that clear. I'm very anti-crunch in my oh, wow. in my uh, Taco Bell. But Sourdough Jack, I think, is it's up there. I mean, it is actually a nice. It's basically a patty melt, right? More mm, or less. Sure. And the thing about the sourdough Jack and therefore the sourdough Woody, it's very like ketchup forward, which isn't usually my favorite, but somehow it's got a nice contrast with everything in there. I think they do ketchup and mayo together. It's definitely heavier on the ketchup at the huh. the sourdough sourdough Woody version for sure, but it works. It okay. Works. And then the curly fries, like I said, make them permanent. So you've got all week until next Monday to check that out from our friends at Low Woody's. Should we get to sports? Wow. Thanks for asking about what I ate in L.A. Oh, I forgot that you were in L.A. for, what, 24 hours? <laughs> 36 hours. Thank you. Okay. Did what? No, not what did you eat in L.A.? What didn't you eat? I didn't eat all LA. sorts of things. <laughs> this time I'm going to talk about things that I did eat. Okay. Uh, because two consecutive days in a row I had donuts. And... I, I think That's that a good trip. I think that donuts look, I mean, squeezing into that short of a period of time, I think I was competing my hardest for what it's worth. And I just wanted to comment. So right when we got there, staying in downtown LA, so I went to Birdie's, which you've been to, which is fried Multiple chicken. Times, yeah. Fried chicken, donuts, and coffee. And it's just like I, I literally do not know what else you could need. They've got it all covered. All the, those things. The coffee does nothing for me, but chicken and donuts, as I've said, is a great combination. We need some Seattle spots to, to pair those two. I'm happy with all three of them. The chicken is good. The donuts are great. And I didn't have any coffee from there. But but if you needed it, it was there for you. Absolutely. I, it was just the wrong time for it. Uh, the next day, I went to Donut Friend, which is like a, kind of a... I think there's a couple of locations throughout LA. All of their donuts are like punk and pop punk themed or whatever i joke that they would have to change the donuts names after bands were canceled um which i guarantee you has happened before uh but they've got like a this is not a punk band but like a green tegan and sarah she's another victim of the woke mob <laughs> donut friend donuts i think donut friend maybe i don't know much about this might also be a victim of the woke mob but but i just wanted to comment what an incredible time we live in for donuts. Without question. We could have been born at any time throughout human history. And we happen to be born at the exact time when donuts were peaking. And that is such a beautiful thing. Look, we might have the Kraken curse. No Seattle sports team will ever win a game ever again. We are, we are doomed. Uh, You're going to start with that off the top and not with the pandemic? Husky Sports. <laughs> you've got you've got Husky Sports, Aaron Rodgers, the pandemic, all <laughs> happening at the same time. 2016 but, through 2020. But we are in such a golden age for donuts. It is incredible. Which is fascinating because it's also a golden age for cookies, right? 
I, I think it's a gold absolutely it's a golden age for cookies, but I think donuts, there's so many of them when done right. It is just it is an amazing thing. Soft on the inside, a little bit of crunch on the outside, the exact right amount of frosting. I I was just blown away by how good donuts are right now in the year twenty twenty one. Well, I was gonna ask you. So for for the first time I brought you over some donuts from Ninth and Hennepin Donuts. Which is uh, say that again? Ninth and Hennepin. Yes. Okay. Uh, Dylan reference. Tom Waits reference, I should say. Uh, See, all the donuts are named after gravelly voice musicians. <laughs> yes, yes, checks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they operate out of this commissary that is a lo- home base for food trucks on Del Ridge in West Seattle, not far from the. Uh, the, my new half of the Pelton cast, uh-huh. and uh, uh, have been there a couple of times, and I picked some up on Sunday and brought them back to you. I, I ordered some for you previously, but we were unable to connect because one of your 10 to 15 children was feeling ill that day. I so. think maybe all three were. All cool. 15. Yes. Uh, so this was the first time you've tried them. They've got four different donuts that rotate on a weekly basis and are inspired based on seasonal you know, what's in season, basically. What did you think? Phenomenal. I told you, we're in a golden age for donuts. Like, those donuts, if it weren't for how good all of the donuts I'm having are, those donuts would have stood out even more. Definitely much more French style. And to me, the thing that I love about donuts is I just, I love soft bread. And it's like, you take soft bread and you add a little bit of sweetness to it. What more could I be looking for on earth, right? (laughs) You're easy to please. Anyway, I'm just, I'm blown away that with everything else that's bad that's happening in the world in this last week in particular, that we, we are at the absolute apex of donuts for all of human history. Wow. Well, we go from that high to, in fact, let's talk about some of all that's bad that's happened. This is much more serious than winning or losing a game. Because uh, we have a rare NBA Seattle update, uh, and that is the news that uh, was first reported on Friday by Shamstrani of The Athletic and confirmed by the Blazers on Saturday that they are, have opened an investigation of an unnamed non-player personnel widely reported to be president of basketball operations, Neil Olshay, over, quote, concerns around workplace environment. And the Blazers have retained the law firm of O'Melvaney and Myers to conduct an investigation. It's been reported that they've talked to uh, current employees of the front office and were set to begin talking to former employees as part of this investigation. We'll see uh, what it entails, but uh, certainly tr- concerning that uh, you know this would rise to the level of something that needs to be investigated by the organization. So what does this mean? I mean, it's pretty vague. Concerns around workplace environment. What are some of the specific complaints that you're seeing that are happening here surrounding Neil Olshay? I mean, there hasn't been a lot of detail, but Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports related that you know, it primarily concerns. It's not physical abuse as far as we can tell, but verbal abuse of employees. So, From Neil Olshay to the employees. Oh, I do not like this. That's that's the understanding, yes. I'm very anti-verbal abuse. I, I think we all are, yes. I mean, this obviously comes on the heels of the in- investigation that uh, w- was published last week by my ESPN colleague Baxter Holmes into uh, a variety of transgressions by Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver 
that ran the gamut really from uh, sexism, racism, and just general abuse of employees in that organization that the NBA is currently investigating. And we see this in the NHL. There's, there's multiple organizations, multiple investigations happening. Obviously, the NFL, we've seen John Gruden. And it, it definitely seems clear that some of these you know, incidents that didn't come to light in the past now, as we've seen in a variety of fields, are people are feeling more comfortable stepping forward and expressing these concerns and that people aren't going to be able to get away with mistreating their employees. The culture around sports is changing. Culture around business in general is changing. But I think the culture around professional sports is changing pretty significantly in this very moment. Absolutely. And related to this, another investigation in the Pacific Northwest basketball world <laughs> is Seattle University coach Jim Hayford has been placed on administrative leave by the school. My former colleague Jeff Goodman of Stadium reported that Hayward used the N-word over the summer and again during a scrimmage on Thursday repeated it after a player said it uh, per Goodman. Hayford apologized to the team on Friday the day after this scrimmage, but, quote, the majority of the team refused to play for him. Associate head coach Chris Victor, who followed Hayford from Eastern Washington, will take over the team on an interim basis as they prepare to open the season Wednesday by hosting Alcorn State on campus. So, again, to, to uh, you know, very significant investigations, and uh, uh, we certainly feel for everyone that's that's been on you know, been victimized in these situations. All right. Uh, Promise some Mariners news. Yusei Kikuchi declined his $13 million player option for 2022 after the Mariners declined their four-year option that they had the ability to pick up. It was a, pretty much a foregone conclusion after he fell out of the rotation at the end of last season that the Mariners would decline that. But it was, I think, generally thought that Kikuchi would probably pick that up because it's you know, $13 million is perhaps more than he would make on the open market as a free agent, but uh, a return to Japan could be a possibility for him. We'll see what his decision is, but uh, did not want to be back with the Mariners in a situation where maybe he wasn't particularly wanted anymore. And from the Mariners' perspective, uh, obviously no surprise with their decision to decline Seager's club, Kyle Seager's club option recently, but the combination of these two moves gives them that much more financial flexibility heading into free agency later this month. And they're one piece away. <laughs> Now's the summer to spend. <laughs> winter. The winter to spend. Head into those winter meetings. Start, you know, tying up hundreds of millions of dollars over the next 10 years. Well, especially right before a potential lockout. Oh, is there going to be a lockout too? Hopefully that will be avoided, but there, there is the potential. Of oh my lockout. God, baseball, you cannot make it through this. <laughs> We're in a golden age of donuts. We are not in a golden age of professional baseball, baseball. Well, that, is, that is quite certain. There's a, a bit of advice. The donuts are good, but the baseball, it's uh, not so good. Uh, especially over the last 20 years in Seattle. Uh, Seattle Kraken. Kraken curse. <laughs> Got a 5-2 win Thursday at home against Buffalo. But then sadly, with third Pelton brother Randy in attendance Ugh. in Glendale, suffered a 5-4 loss that was the first win of the season for the Coyotes. And Oof. then dropped a 4-2 decision Tuesday against the Vegas Golden Knights in their second trip to Las Vegas in the young season. Uh, a, a highlight from Thursday, Jordan Eberle netted the first hat trick in franchise history. I uh, definitely saw a lot of hats, a lot of Kraken hats out there on the ice as uh, people got involved in that tradition for the very first time at Climate Pledge Arena. 
So we have in one of your favorites. I know. I, I love seeing it on the rundown. A listener email. There we go. The Kraken from our, our pseudo correspondent, friend of the pod, Eric Gratz, who's uh, emailed us multiple times, checking in with his latest thoughts. Some Kraken thoughts. Despite their record, the Kraken are who we thought they were. Since the home opener when the Kraken moved analytics darling Vince Dunn up in the lineup and got Yanni Gord back, the Kraken have greater than 50% of the expected goals in every game, according to naturalstattrick.com, which was one of the sites that Allison Lucan mentioned when she was on the pod previewing the season. They are currently 7th in expected goals percentage, 2nd in the Pacific to Calgary. We do expect a team like the Kraken to underperform their expected goals percentage given the lack of elite or top-end finishing talent. Conversely, we expected a team like Edmonton, which has two of the best players in the world. Did you see the Connor McDavid highlight over the weekend? No. It was pretty incredible. Huh. Pretty incredible goal. Uh, to outperform their expected goals percentage. In summary, from a statistical perspective, this team looks a lot like a team that should contend for a 6th to 8th spot in the Western Conference playoffs. However, the team is getting killed by their goaltending. No goalie on the roster has a save percentage greater than 900, which is really bad. The optimist will say that Philip Grubauer has a 919 career save percentage, and we expect his save percentage to regress toward that number. Mm -hmm. The pessimist will say that the goalie's save percentage relative to past performance much weaker when they change teams. Really? So in short, the team is playing well, but the team, but no <clears throat> team in the league can carry sub nine hundred goaltending. Wow! So look at that analysis. Yeah. Really enlightening the Pelton cast. I mean, my initial instinct was that if his previous success, if he previously was a nine nineteen percentage goaltender, then my expectation would would be that it's just a regression issue, right? I mean, it, it, especially to start the season, it does make sense that it wouldn't necessarily carry over because your save percentage is to some extent a combination of the defense in front. We're going to talk about this with wide receivers later because you're going to talk some shit. And I'm going to say that the, your, the situation is more important than the individual. We'll see on that one. I mean, it's similar to, you know, something I found in the NBA, which is when I was doing my projections using real plus minus from ESPN that. When players changed teams, it was less reliable than when they stayed on the same team, so you had to regress it more towards the average. Although I still think the average goaltender is clearly better than how Grubauer has performed this season. So that part of it maybe is, is, going, is still a reason for optimism. So we will see on that one. Kraken back home this week, the rest of this week, hosting Anaheim on Thursday and the Minnesota Wild on Saturday. Well, and still in pretty desperate need of just picking up some points here. Like, d despite all that, there's a lot of season left, but they're they're getting into it here. They are, yeah. And sitting on nine points at the moment, some of these losses, like that loss at at Phoenix was, you said at Arizona. Are they the Arizona Coyotes? Aren't they? I thought they were the Phoenix Coyotes. We'll have to double check that. All I know is the Pelton cast is going to pronounce it Coyotes. Oh. <laughs> Did I pronounce it that way? I That's how I it. pronounce it every time. Mrs. Fantasy Genius today was like, why do you Peltons pronounce pecans, pecans? And I'm like, because they're pronounced pecans. What do you mean, why do we pronounce pecans, pecans? There was a, a cooking show with a person I, from... Not, I think I actually pronounce it pecan. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Horribly are, incorrect. They are, in fact, Arizona. They're the Arizona Coyotes? Yeah. Were they previously the Phoenix? Maybe they were before they moved out to Glendale. Oh, okay. They still. There was a cooking show with a were, person they were once the Phoenix Cardinals from Charleston on the TV today. I was enthralled. I sang my Alone in Charleston song, uh, and 
she the entire time was like, um, she was cooking up pecans, calling them pecans, and that's why I call them pecans. All right, fair enough. I mean, I think that is a southern thing to call them pecans. <sighs> uh, Seattle Sounders, we mentioned earlier, a 1-1 draw Sunday at the Vancouver Whitecaps in their regular season finale. They played without Raul Ruiz, Nico Lodero, and Joao Paulo due to minor injuries. Also missing Will Bruin, who underwent knee surgery last week after playing through pain much of the season, and his season is surely over. Without them, you, you saw that lineup come through Sunday afternoon, and you're like, uh-oh. This is, this is not great for the chances of a game that if they win, they will would have clinched first place in the West and a, a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so without them, not a lot of playmaking. Freddie Montero started as a lone forward. Jordan Morris played off the bench after halftime the entire second half in his second game returning from an ACL tear. Sounders still drew a penalty on an early ca- corner kick with Montero converting against his former team for a one nothing lead. But the Whitecaps had a stretch where they really were, you know, putting a lot of pressure on the Sounders defense and then answered that in around the 20th minute to, to tie the game. And neither team could score thereafter as they settled for a 1-1 draw that assured Vancouver a playoff spot. And the results left the Sounders at the number two seed in the Western Conference because the Colorado Rapids did win. They got a 5-2 win on Sunday. They took the top seed and got that bye. Sporting Kansas City was stunned at home by Real Salt Lake after losing to Austin to, uh, you know, when they were really in the driver's seat for first place in the West. Uh, they dropped all the way down to third due to a goal in stoppage time for RSL that allowed the Real Salt Lake to reach the playoffs. And they will be matching up against the Sounders in the first round. That game will be played Tuesday, November 23rd after MLS pauses this weekend for the international break. Uh, heading into the postseason, 538th Soccer Power Index give the Sounders a 13% chance to win MLS Cup, the third best behind the top seeds in both conferences, aforementioned Colorado, as well as the New England Revolution, who uh, cruised to the Supporters' Shield with the top overall record in MLS this season. Uh, by finishing second, the Sounders also qualified for 2020 CONCACAF Champions League after a one-year absence from that competition. There we go. So that's that's also, I don't know if that's a full-on toast, but that's also some, some good news out of the Sounders' outcome. I mean, even though they didn't get the bye, that's disappointing. Look, still incredible for the Sounders with the injuries they've suffered this season to finish second in the West. For the fourth fourth consecutive year they finished second, they are very consistent in that second spot. I I mean, they obviously have played well out of the second spot they, as they well. They've made MLS in, Cup in two of those three years, yes. But right now, and I understand things can change very quickly. It's almost like in soccer, there's like eight different seasons that happen, at least in the MLS, right? But like, I mean, that's really true across. It's it's not unusual the length of ML, the MOS season compared to soccer seasons. It's just compared to other Americans. Well, I mean, I'm not following other soccer seasons that closely, but just really uninspiring for the last month. Yeah, but they've all these guys have been injured, and even they came in back moments to play one game together, and they were very little training coming off injuries. Now they're going to have a couple weeks here because these players have not been called into their national teams. So, I, I think we'll see. I'm optimistic about the fact that the best version of the Sounders that we'll all see all season, in all likelihood, will be in the playoffs. I, I think that is very wishful thinking or, or very hopeful thinking. How about that? I mean, I could see it happen. Obviously, they're the number two seed, but it's been 
a solid six weeks. Basically, from yeah, the very moment that the Kraken played, played one game. their first game, wow. and the moment that happened, the Sounders have just. But it is well, uninspiring is the only way to describe it. It's like they just they don't look very good. They don't look like the number two well, season. How do you expect if you told like if they had played all season with Montero is the only forward on the roster? Like, what were you expecting? I was there at the game when all of these players were playing, and they still didn't look that good. Yeah, because they hadn't played together. Because they were injured. I don't know. I mean, it would have been really nice if you had the bye, because then you would have, like, potentially three weeks Good God. to train together. Maybe too much time. Not not in this case. If the team was in good form, yes. People, people may case. forget that soccer exists in three weeks. Well, hopefully they won't, because there is some soccer this weekend. And a Hello. team that has been searching since the Kraken's birth... Well, they play in Tacoma, right. so it's different. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're, they're exempt. Yeah. Are the Thunderbirds doing well? Mm, Kent. That's <laughs> not far enough. So you get, you got to get out of the uh, King 206 County. Era. has to be out of King they're County. They're out of the 206. They're out of the but they're still in King County. Uh, O.L. Rain on Sunday will be hosting the Washington Spirit in one of the two NWSL semifinals. That game will be played at 12 noon on the CBS Sports Network. Oh, I hate that spirit. The Washington Spirit beat the North Carolina Courage 1-0 Sunday in extra time to reach the semifinals, getting the only goal from Golden Boot winner Ashley Hatch in the 113th minute. The Spirit took two out of three matchups during the regular season from the rain, including a meeting last month at Cheney Stadium. The road team improbably has won all three head-to-head matches. It feels season. like these two teams are constantly playing each other. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I mean, they're not playing each other that much more often than any other. Every NWSL note, teams. it's they're either playing the Spirit of the Thorns. <laughs> are you sure there aren't three teams in the NWSL? There are more than three teams. Okay. In the NWSL. Six teams made the playoffs, which is why the, why the rain got a bye to the uh, semifinals, along with those Thorns who are the top seed uh, in the NWSL playoffs. So, uh, uh, good luck to the rain as they try to get back to the NWSL final, uh, which they have not won, but have appeared in, I think, three times in franchise history, at least two. I went to one of them. All right, UW men's soccer. Here we go. Well, there's the team that's doing well on Mott Lake. Got a 3 nothing win Thursday at UCLA, one nothing win Sunday at San Diego State, which plays in the Pac-12 in men's soccer. That was today I learned. I love that. Uh, midfielder Dylan Tevez Jr. was named Conference Player of the Week after recording two goals and assists in those two matches, leaving him second in the conference in both categories. The number three Huskies wrap up their regular season Thursday against number two Oregon State oh my in a God. rematch of the lone UW loss, which was marred by a pair. Of is this on TV for the Huskies? I believe this is on Pac-12 Network. There we go. Yeah, shoot me a text. <laughs> We'll actually be hanging out on Thursday. I don't know. I assume that'll be. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> like, will we? Yes. We'll see if we can get this. And Loretta's just be like, just put on UW men's soccer on the TV. <laughs> it's actually, what everybody is clamoring actually, for. I don't know if it is going to be on TV because it's it's basketball season. Probably oh. UW men's basketball. Is Are you kidding me? Oh, I've just that just occurred to oh. me. Well, we can stream it. Such a hard pass on that. <laughs> We'll get to it. Uh, The Beavers lost Sunday to UCLA means that game will decide the conference championship. Although apparently Oregon State has already claimed a share of the conference championship. What are they, the 1960 UW football team? They could, because they'll have as many wins as UW if UW wins this. 
but they would have two losses and you'd up would only have one. So I don't really They're don't, literally just they're the claiming that a share. That's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, Is that all that needs to be I done? You just the, need to claim it? I saw it on the Pac-12 website. So they seem to have blessed this. I don't wow. know. Wow. I don't know how that works. All you it's it's like the freaking Sooners. You just need to stake a claim to the Pac-12 championship <laughs> in men's soccer. Well, hopefully the uh the Huskies will stake their claim on the field on Thursday. There we go. And in that revenge game against Oregon State. Oh, man. All right, the well. the sport that I'm most looking forward to this week. One UW team that has not lost this week, besides soccer, is UW women's basketball, and that's because they don't open the season until Friday when they host San Diego. They'll host Northern Arizona on Sunday as part of this weekend's homestand. It'll be the first game for new head coach Tina Langley. Uh, the Huskies, since we last saw them, had three starters transfer after their coaching change with promising freshman guard Tamia Sadler and Quay Miller both heading to Colorado and Kayla Rooks grad transferring to UNLV. But the Huskies added three key transfers with starters Nancy Mulkey and Lauren Schwartz following Langley from Rice and guard Trinity Oliver coming from Baylor where she was a contributor off the bench. Mulkey, the, who stands six foot, six foot nine, you'll recall, will be the anchor at six both. Six foot nine? Yep. Wow. Will be the anchor at both ends after averaging 15.7 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 3.5 blocks last season in Conference USA. Uh, helped lead Rice to the NIT championship, and she was considered a, a late-round draft pick, but decided to pull her name out of the WNBA draft and utilize her extra year of eligibility following Langley to UW. We'd all, I'd also expect Schwartz to start on the wing with leading returning scorer Haley Van Dyke, and when she's cleared to play, which there's really not a lot of information out there, uh, Missy Peterson, who was one of the Huskies' leading scorers in 2019-20, but then missed last season due to an ACL tear suffered in practice ahead of the season. Uh, that Sunday game against Northern Arizona, a return home for UW legend Lori Payne, who's in her fifth year coaching the Lumberjacks. And now we get to the section of sadness. <laughs> section of sadness, wow. You know men's basketball. 83-50 win over Central Washington in the exhibition game last week. That, that seemed promising. But then a 71-64 loss Tuesday against Northern Illinois, which you'll recall came into the season, uh, first game under a new head coach, ranked outside the 300, top 300 in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, this was obviously not a game that the Huskies should have lost, but yet they so often lose these games and they dropped a uh, solid 33 spots in the Pomeroy rankings themselves. 33 spot, spots. 134, thus moving back past Cal after Cal had briefly usurped them is the lowest rated team in the Pac-12 with their home loss to UC San Diego oh, God. earlier Thursday, earlier Tuesday, I should say. So that's where we are. That's where we stand. If you want to be optimistic, why? Why would I want to be optimistic? <laughs> uh, a lot, sure. A fair bit of this was shooting luck. Northern Illinois went 12 of 23. I, but the, a fair bit of the last four years is shooting luck for UW. Like, they can't shoot. This is the issue. I asked oh, you this, last this week. Part of it, well, I mean, they're not going to shoot this poorly again. But, yeah, they shot 27% from the field, 17% from three, and 58% from the free throw line. Thus hitting that magic 26, 16, 58. That's the Pete, Pete Carroll numbers that he likes to hit. Uh, when they dominated offensive rebounds, right? Like, I mean, completely overmatched Northern Illinois. Nate Roberts had 12 offensive rebounds. They had 27 as a team. How does this happen? How does Mike Hopkins continue every single year 
to not be able to find players who can shoot the ball. Has there been a season in his tenure at UW where the, I feel like this stretches back even into the Romar era. Yeah, I was gonna We're say, going like, are we talking about just Mike Hopkins here? A solid decade since anybody on UW could shoot, right? It was CJ Wilcox was the last player on campus oh, who could shoot. I, I don't know if he was the last one who could shoot. I mean, the Scott Suggs, maybe. I think Scott Suggs, they were basically contemporaries. I think CJ Wilcox played more recently than Scott Suggs. I mean, they were. They were a decent shooting team the tournament years, or the tournament year, I should say. I mean, actually, it was the year after. It was the, the Quad A Green season. They shot 72% from the line. They shot 35% from three in the year they made the NCAA tournament. Also, not being able to hit free throws. Like, what the hell? Does every single college college basketball team face this? Like, does every single fan of a college basketball program throughout the country, not to call myself a fan of any college basketball program, but does every single fan of these schools think that their team cannot shoot free throws or is this just a UW problem I mean yes every person thinks that but the Huskies have not finished in the top 100 nationally in free throw percentage since 2015-16 they were 12th in 2013-14 led by the aforementioned CJ Wilcox how can this be possible I feel like you would just luck into good shooters at some point yeah I, I, I don't know what to tell you here Oh, it's heinous to watch. Just it's weird because horrendous also, like, basketball to watch. The city of Seattle is known for developing shooters. Well, the the good news is Paulo didn't Paulo. Oh, Bancaro. Oh, okay. No, no, he, yeah, he was very good. Oh, okay. Just what are we doing here? There's so much talent coming out of the city of Sa- uh, city of Seattle at the high school basketball level, and none of it is funneling through UW. We well, had we I'm had a coach funneled back into UW this year via transfer. Well, that's great. That's great to hear. Jake, what did you see? He tweeted me asking, "When was the last time the Huskies started an all Garfield, or had they ever started an all Garfield backcourt before Terrell Brown Jr. and Dejon Davis tonight?" And no, they hadn't. Be, I mean, obviously, Roy and Will Conrad. Oh, okay. No, he was claiming that Roy was a forward, but then I noted that at one point they'd listed a three-guard lineup in 2003-04, and those three lineups, three guards were Conroy, Roy, and Trey Simmons, who also went to Garfield. We just we should continue talking about 2003-2004 because we <laughs> should go back and do that again. Yeah, then we should revisit that season again because well, the season's already if over. We're do like it. the the thing we I talked mean, first about. Off, we do not need more stuff to talk about in this podcast. Like I've said, there's way too much content already, but we would have to do 2004-05 at this point, obviously. You'd continue it. Is this a worse loss if you look at them yes. apples to apples? Is this a worse loss than UW football versus Montana? If you look at <sighs> the, based on the current rankings, because who knows how good Northern Illinois is going to end up being. Northern Illinois, relative to the average Division One men's basketball team, is worse than Montana relative to the average division average Division One football team. Thing. Is there a chance this is the worst loss in University of Washington men's basketball history? Oh, that is a long and storied tradition. Uh, I I would have to look it up to see who is the worst Ken Palm team they lost to, but I, I'm quite confident it is not. <laughs> there have been some brutal losses in there. Yeah. And they always come at the same time of year. Well, well, that's when you play the bad team. So, yeah, they, they have to come. At but it was just year. like you went into this game. I turned it on. I There was a little bit of me that cheered for them to lose. Just like, oh no! What would a one-point victory against Northern Illinois really have done? Like, are we? 
Oh, keep the attention off of the men's basketball. Are we kidding ourselves here? We know what's coming. We know what's going to happen at the end of the season. The only hope is that when Mike Hopkins is gone, that they end up doing it right after this. Like we were talking about cleaning house, UW women's basketball, UW men's basketball, UW football, which we'll talk about in a second. There's a good chance that every single coach from, from this school at, major sports is gone within the same year like the there's really nothing aside I mean, from it's a different academic year but yes oh by the so, way this is way worse than any of these non-conference losses that we thought were bad before so you're willing to say it is I, there a chance i mean is there a chance in 2021 that uw football and uw basketball had their worst losses in program history i mean i don't know if i'm gonna say program history within because... two months of each other Ken Palm only goes back to 2002. I mean, I'd have to look at sports reference has some longer running. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there were some just horrendous losses in the 1990s, but I am not finding a lower-rated Ken Palm team that the Huskies have lost to. These all these losses are also re- relative to your current talent. Like the, I mean, are, is this team better in terms of current talent than the teams of the 90s? Where they were picked 12th in the Pac-12. There's only 12 teams. <laughs> You can't get any lower than that. Oh, I don't know why I had hope for a second. It's just like, we, there's a lot of sports going on right now. Look, maybe hockey will just take us through. But when you don't have a professional basketball team, it is it is a long, lonely winter. I, well, that's why, I mean, I told you last week that I watched the Kraken game, or streamed, because I was watching NBA. I streamed the Kraken game over the UW exhibition because I was more invested in the Kraken than in UW men's basketball. I flipped that tonight because I thought the, you know, the season opener was worth seeing. We better hope some of that regression happens for the Kraken because I cannot watch this UW basketball team anymore. The lowest rated, I'm not seeing, I'm not sure if I'm finding any outside the top 200 previously that the Huskies had lost. It's like a hundred spots worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's really bad. That is, that's really bad. So... They get a chance to bounce back. But I was told that when they got rid of Lorenzo Romar, it was going to fix everything. That was, oh, that was the problem. They just needed to replace him. Coaching changes always solve everything. Okay, you cannot compare Jimmy Lake to Lorenzo saying, Romar. Are saying. you kidding me? My comp- Lorenzo Romar leads you up to a number one seed to the Sweet 16 multiple times. I'm not comparing the two of them. I'm just saying, don't pin your hopes on a coaching change. I, I'm just saying... that. Those those two coaches are not comparable coaches. They should not have let go of Lorenzo Romar. It was a huge mistake. The program has been in a tailspin basically ever since then. Although there were two pretty good Hopkins years. There was one reasonably promising Hopkins year and one really good. Okay, 220 was Houston in 2003-04. But aren't we talking number 326? But I did find someone outside the top 200. So you found somebody potentially with not even within a hundred spots. In two hundred and nineteen, Montana State and Romar's first game as head coach. Uh, those appear to be the two worst losses. It's just to this in the Ken Palm era. It's not getting better. No, it's not. It's not getting better at all. Uh, will Huskies will have a chance to get better on Thursday when they host. Also, like the women's team, Northern Arizona. Monday they host Texas Southern, who uh, is the highest rated of their early opponents. At 238. Ugh. So, there you go. All right. You know, football. 
Do, do we have any additional thoughts on Jimmy Lake? Because I, I think just the one question I have for you is <laughs> you're smiling because I think you're about to unveil a take. No, I'm not. I'm saving the take, actually. You're not You're not giving us the take? The, I mean, the take is not that like a hot take. It's just like a, a theory, basically. My theory is that like Jimmy Lake, like his players, you know, Saturdays into the side seem to really, really have great loyalty towards him and like playing for him. The defensive backs in particular that played under him. I think that the inability to establish personal relationships with people face-to-face during the pandemic period worked tremendously against Jimmy Lake. That was my theory. Why is that theory? What did Jimmy Lake have going against him that other coaches didn't, though? He didn't. Well, he had that he took over right before it, I think, was part of it. Like, most coaches didn't take over right before it in their first coaching job. But also, again, if he is uniquely capable of making those connections and that power was stripped of him, then he may never have had a chance. But obviously, he has done a tremendous amount of disservice to his own chances in the past week. Uh, I had a conversation. That, that's, that's maybe a recruiting thing, but like that doesn't explain the offense being terrible. No. And it I mean, doesn't that's... explain the 200 rushing yards for Oregon last week. Like... I, I think you're getting too much into the territory of I'm saying, judging things this, outside I, of the sport of football, I, which is like, that's like talking head stuff. Like explaining why things happening happen is like, that's fucking the Pac-12 postgame show situation. A thing happened on the field. You should try to explain why things happen. No, I think we go way out of our way to, to over explain why things happening. I mean, why, that's, that's probably fair, but I'm saying that like, Making you're turning it into the story of Jimmy Lake being a bad coach instead of the results on the field that prove that Jimmy Lake is a bad coach. Well, like I said last yesterday, I don't think we should write the book on Jimmy Lake as a coach. I think that's a mistake because again, he's coached 13 games in his life. Uh, We're getting back to back to hard facts at the very least. I mean, I don't think that the record alone would be he's going to get fired. Like, there would be a question about it. But then people would say, oh, no, he's got 10 million remaining. This is fantasy land, like I did on this podcast three weeks ago. But he is no longer fantasy land. Now, you know, I mentioned Christian Capel saying this. Now, Larry Stone, the Seattle Times lead sports columnist, wrote that, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any way Jimmy Lake can continue. I don't know whether there's any degree of sourcing in these stories, but it. It, there seems to be a consensus about this from a media perspective. And I also, I had an enlightening, I had a, th- a conversation that was enlightening with a colleague who uh, I was talking to and, you know, he mentioned, so uh, are they going to let Jimmy Lake go? And I was like, well, yeah, after what happened on Saturday. And he was like, wait, what happened on Saturday? He had no idea. He was strictly talking about the team's record and the <laughs> Oregon quote. <laughs> Thought that was enough on its own. Before Jimmy Lake struck a player and got suspended for a week. He was like, yeah, they punted down down eight. <laughs> I mean, it's... Kevin Pelton was in the stands cheering it on. <laughs> I... Loving that punt every second of <laughs> I thought it was within the realm of reasonable. I, I still think, like... If you were just going to fire him, why would you suspend him for a week and not suspend him indefinitely? That I, that's what I don't understand. Because indefinite could be any period of time. 
It could even be a week. <laughs> I think there must be legal issues surrounding this, but the the tenor of that Larry Larry Stone piece, it seems to me like people know things that are happening and are not not capable of saying or there's whispers or whatever. Like there's something going on around Jimmy Lake and the University of Washington. <laughs> well, I mean, we know what's going on, but yes, there might be something going on behind the scenes. Yes. And that's what I took from that. And that's that's what I was gonna say is my only takeaway that's slightly different from yesterday is that I think the base expectation is that Jimmy Lake will not be the coach of UW football at the end of the season. I would agree with that. Or and, after the season, whatever. And I mean I think the financial element of it is key if they are able to negotiate some sort of a buyout that is less than the full $10 million remaining on his contract. Because again, they might have to pay out Mike Hopkins' buyout at the end of this season. Just paying well. out buyouts to everybody. It's, it's a good thing. They just, you know, the players agreed. They don't want to be paid. <laughs> Every single player agreed, basketball and football, they, they would rather the coaches get paid instead. So... I mean, basketball players do now have a variety of alternatives to the college model if they wish to, to pursue those. Those types of players who pursue that those opportunities are usually better than the types of players who play at the University of Washington. Well, that is, that is certainly true. All the players who can shoot decide to <laughs> oh, no. pursue those other opportunities. Uh, unfortunately, the opportunities they pursue are going to UCLA. <laughs> Man, is UCLA really good? I'm like kind of excited about. Yeah, they're number two in the country. I, I the saw two that. Teams in the country are both from the West Coast. I don't know what is going it is on. Shocking. I mean, the rest of the Pac-12 is atrociously bad. Oh, you, that's what I was wondering but about. But somehow, like, Wazoo and UCLA are good. It just doesn't make sense to me. How these Pac-12 schools, like, who was it you said lost to? Cal. To San Diego? You see, not not you, San Diego. You see San, San Diego. Diego. Oh San my. Diego is a perfectly acceptable loss. You see San Diego, which I believe is in its second year, is a Division One program. Oh, my God. Dan Marley is their head coach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Dan Marley just, like, goes into around and coaches every team when they start at Division One? Is he still the coach of Crane Canyon? No, oh, no. Dang. Right, Bryce Drew is the coach now. Oh, wow. What a fall from grace. Um, For Bryce Drew or Dan Marley? Both, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, is Northern, I'm sorry, uh, Green Canyon that much worse than Valpo? <laughs> like, it's not his alma mater. I get it. But, or maybe he, was he at a bigger school for a while? But I thought he was at Baylor. That's Scott Drew. Oh, well. His brother. They won the national championship. He is not coaching at Grand Canyon. The good one. Turns out. <laughs> the good brother. He's the you to me. <laughs> oh, wow. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Uh,. But why Why is these Pac-12 schools, why can they not beat these tiny, like it literally does not make sense how you could have the recruiting prowess of a Pac-12 school and lose to fucking Northern Illinois or to UC San Diego. Great Canyon, nearly as highly rated at Ken Bob as you know. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Where's Pepperdine relative to us? <sighs> Should I switch my allegiance on Ken Bob from UW to Pepperdine? I think that would be fair. Just like me to Jay Kaner. Which, by the way, oh, are, are, we, are we we're saving oh, the hater saving update? The, Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine suffered loss in their opener as well. <clears> well, on Lorenzo Romer still but coach. To, uh, on the road against Rice. Much better loss. Okay, where were we? I don't... Who cares? <laughs> Should, I, I, should I, we do the Jake Hayner update now? <laughs> yeah, that's all I care about. No, it's actually a brutal Jake Hayner update, too. <laughs> it really is. 
22 of 38 for 279 yards. Kraken curse! <laughs> with two touchdowns and three interceptions. As Fresno State lost 40 to 14 to Boise State Ugh. on Saturday. Well, let's talk about Saturday's game. Because I think, for the record, at the very least, it's going to be interesting. Say what you will about Seattle <laughs> the sports. Of the, the state of the program, Seattle sports in general. At least there's content. There is so much content. Except in UW basketball, where we have to talk about the 2004-2005 season. <laughs> let's remember, let's take it even further back. I mean, Donald Watts, right? Shooting Luton, Todd McCullough. Let's take it back to that team. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> Every week we should just preview those games instead of talking about the UW basketball games. I mean, that's what we did last year. <laughs> I think they probably canceled some of them, didn't they? Uh, no, they did not cancel any of the UW men's yeah, basketball games. I remember them canceling most of the season. I saw Donald Lots at the Lenny Wilkins Street retire. Renaming the other week, so that was that was nice. Oh, that's awesome! Was he he was sitting in the mod pizza, just eating pizza, <laughs> and you looked over and saw him. Wait, I don't get the joke. They did it in the yeah, in okay. the armory where the Blue Water Taco is operational. It's great, <laughs> fully operational. Wasn't Don wasn't it open at that point because it doesn't open until four p.m. But okay, you know. is that what is that why you're confused? Donald Donald Watts was eating some plum vegan bistro. <laughs> And looked over, and they happened to be doing a renaming of the Lenny Wilkins Street. Donald Watts is part of Seattle basketball royalty. He was there for a reason. I'm just, I'm, okay. Is You're taking a lot of personal offense to this. I know. You seem to be, like, saying, like, Donald Watts doesn't belong there. No, no, no. This wasn't an insult to Donald it's Watts. It's just a joke about them doing it at the armory. Yes. Well, you should have said afterwards he went to the mod pizza. Uh -huh. Uh... So Saturday, the Huskies will be facing Arizona State with defensive coordinator Bob Gregory serving as interim head coach and wide receiver coach Junior Adams serving as interim offensive coordinator. And let me tell you, so Arizona State's had an up-and-down season. They began the season ranked, <coughs> lost 27-17 at BYU, won their next three to return to the rankings, then lost back-to-back -back at Utah and home to Washington State before rebounding last week with a 31-16 win over reeling USC. This is the worst possible matchup for you, Doug. Wow. There's, they're a little different physically, certainly, but there's a lot of similarities between Jaden Daniels and Anthony Brown as quarterbacks in terms of overall results as passers and runners. Daniels is sixth in QBR, but less than a point behind Brown, who's fourth. They're 1-2 in the Pac-12 in rushing EPA. Brown a tad bit better as a passer, but Daniels less prone to taking sacks. These Sun Devils are tied for second in the conference in rush EPA per play with Oregon State behind Utah, ahead of Oregon. Wow. Who you'll recall ran for 211 yards last week. JC uh, <clears throat> transfer Rashad White. You thought that was a good performance by the defense. I'm just saying, when the quarterback throws 28 times for 211 yards, people think that's a good defensive performance. Uh, JC transfer Rashad White went for 28 carries for 202 yards all by himself last week in that win over UCLA uh, to win Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, his best game in the <sighs> season after a pair of 100-plus <clears throat> yard games to end 2020, his first year in Tempe. He had previously missed the Washington State lo loss with a right leg injury. White ranks fifth in rushing EPA, just behind Daniels, who's fourth. So they've got two players in the top five in rushing EPA against the UW defense. 
Uh, the Arizona State defense, also fairly similar to Oregon. They're actually number one in opponent EPA per play, but fifth in FPI efficiency, which is just for opponent in garbage time. And only UW is allowing a lower EPA per play on pass attempts than Arizona State. Why is Arizona State not better? Because it's the Pac-12. We just can't have nice things. Yeah. Yeah, I get other, it. Other than Oregon. Uh-huh. And even Oregon had the loss to Stanford. Oh, God. It somehow makes me hate Stanford more. <laughs> I don't even know. That's, you know what? In this case, that's fair. Ugh. So, again, I, FBI thinks this is a dead-even game somehow. <laughs> They're like, look, we don't know a thing about Junior Adams and Bob Gregory. <laughs> Toss-up. <laughs> I love FBI's telling the story of the game. <laughs> They're like, Bob Gregory couldn't get face-to-face with players during the pandemic, so. I'm just saying. Just even 50-50. I've, we, we need to have some words, FBI. Well, I mean, Arizona State has its own, has its own ongoing off-field issues with investigation of the program. Oh, my God. Uh, for improper benefits, I believe. Oh, pff. who cares? I agree, but uh, Arizona State a five and a half point favorite in this one, so a little bit of disagreement between FBI. It's a man. That's pretty huge. It's a dramatic. I mean, that line is not five and a half points. What was the Oregon line? It's not that far off from that. It was about six. Yeah. I mean, Arizona State is not that much worse than Oregon. I would say, which is why I think this is a terrible matchup for the Huskies. I'm just. I'm fascinated to watch, I suppose. Do you think so you you don't think Sam Heward will play in this game? We were talking, I think th- I think this was uh 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 off wax. Uh, <laughs> when we were talking about Sam Heward and eligibility, is that right? No, that was that was the end of the podcast. Oh, okay, that that was that was, that was we talked after something. It was not about that. Okay, so you don't think there's a chance that Sam Heward... I don't think there's a chance. I don't think it's likely that Sam Heward will play in this one. Okay. Are you wanting to give a chance of victory in this game? Because... I mean, if we're still doing traditions, I don't know. Or are we just that far out on this? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm curious. Uh, I, I, again, still think this UW team is... Weirdly not. There is to some... recap, you gave them a 44% chance of winning last week. There is more... When they're not being held back by every single person who is putting the athletes in a position to either to prosper or fail, I think that this, this is a talented college football team. Is that unfair? I don't know what to think anymore. I still... I legitimately think Dylan Morris could be a pretty good quarterback if put in the right position. It's just like... It's really... When you think about football, right, which is something that I do from time to time. Entirely too often. And thinking about how football should be played, and it's a complex thing, right? It involves, on offense, it involves stretching the field, it involves motion, and it involves the length of the field. All of these things. They got so consumed against Oregon. With you know, it's funny because there was a football coach who talked about really being able to use the entirety of the field and how much it was going to transform his offense. And you poo-pooed those comments. Who was that? That was Sean McVay talking about Matthew Stafford. Oh, God. I know this is not the week to be making that comment, but... I saw, I saw a graphic there that Jared Goff had a better season under Sean McVay than Matthew Stafford did. When they went to the yeah, Super I guess Bowl, that's true, yes. Sean, Jared Goff deserves an apology. 
Um, He's not getting over me. I guarantee you that. But the they got so consumed with the width of the field against Oregon, stretching it out. And that's not good football. Mm, Ultimately, the fact that Oregon is noted for not having a lot of speed. Oh, uh, they're wrong. It was bad. It failed miserably. When your wide receivers are at less than 10 yards per catch, that is terrible. And the reason you do that is to open up the length of the field. And they never got there against Oregon. They never tried. There are so many penalties. There are so many deep balls that are out there. You know, we never even talked about my favorite part of the game. Like everyone else, <sighs> the replays, the all of the no. replays. Oh my god! Was replays. it when the punt went sailing over Rice Porter's head? It wasn't head? that. It was when they got a false start, followed by a delay game penalty on like their own three yard line. That that was performance art to me. That's when I tweeted that. I just I do not believe that that is John Donovan's fault. I I mean. To your whole, like, everything comes back to the head coach thing. Your inability to get off a play within 25 seconds after getting a penalty, that comes back to the offensive coordinator. Do you think John Donovan was just hemming and hawing about what play to call? I don't... Which which up-the-middle run to call or which stretch screenplay? But if you haven't practiced it well enough that you can't get off a play within 25 seconds after a penalty, like, that's on you, bud. I hate this team. The reason that you stretch the field is to create motion and misdirection and and to to bring the corners closer on those plays to eventually beat them in the length of the field. And I think that's something that Dylan Morris is capable of doing. And I think it's the biggest issue that coaches have is being too concerned with the idea of turnovers and therefore not passing the ball deep enough. Especially a team that can't run the ball like UW. Like, there's nothing going on in the other part of the field. The place that you ultimately have an advantage, if you don't have an advantage in these other parts of the field, is with deep deep passes. Because you don't need to hit that many of them to have a successful offense. Had the Huskies hit one deep pass in the game, it might have completely changed the game. Now, do I think that Junior Adams is going to be the answer to all this? Probably not. But, in offense, there is something underneath there. There is the talent there is a talented enough quarterback, receivers, hypothetically offensive line, to be able to execute a winning game plan. And we know that that's the case on the defense as well. And I believe that that is there, and that's why I've consistently been overly confident about this UW team. And maybe, just maybe, in the week without John Donovan and Jimmy Lake, we will see something positive. So I'm sticking with that 44%. Oh my god, no! You know, it's weird because at the beginning of the season, I actually was more optimistic about UW than other than the first week when you said there was a 100% chance of victory against Montana. It scoffed at the idea of even doing a percentage chance of victory, as I recall it. I feel like during the Montana and Cal games, I was much higher, but now I am clearly much lower because I'm at like a 20% chance of victory in this one. We're beating Arizona State. I'm worried that's even too optimistic. (laughs) Oh, we're beating Arizona State. (sighs) <sighs> it would really be. They could have beaten Oregon. Re- realistically, they they could have beaten Oregon. But a lot of things. The other thing we didn't talk about in terms of like why the game was so close, even though Oregon was massively dominant in yards per play in total yards, is like the special teams for much of the game so dramatically advantaged UW in the field position. More I want to see game. more Giles Jackson though. Like I agree. But look, if someone is going to figure out how to use the receivers, it's probably your fucking receivers coach. Yeah, the offensive coordinator. I. Let's so give it a shot. Okay, but 
Uh, there was Simmons was on the Cousin Sal podcast talking about Cordero Patterson. He was like, how did somebody figure out Cordero Patterson? And all he was was somebody you'd throw the ball at the line of scrimmage to. And it's just like, yeah, everybody, you typecast these receivers. Remember when Percy Harvin caught that deep ball against Washington on Monday Night Football? I think it might have gotten called back. It was like... Was it against Washington? Was he healthy at that point? I'm pretty sure it was against Washington on the road, like week two or something like that. I mean, I remember the play you're talking about. And I think it got called back. But... Uh, small, fast receivers are actually capable of running down the field. Cordero Patterson is capable of running down the field and catching a pass. Is that what's happening this year, or is Cordero Patterson well, he's being used as a running back? Also playing as a running back, but I mean, the pass that he caught to win the game for them against the Saints was a deep ball that Cordero Patterson went up and got and then ran after that. That is something that we're not seeing from Charles Jackson. Yeah, I don't know that that's how I would want them to use Giles Jackson either because they have a lot of players who are better at doing that. Or Giles that Jackson. too. I just, I hate this idea that there are certain players who you can only do one thing with and coaches get it in their mind that they're like, this is what this player can do. In fact, I'll say that Pete Carroll of all people, I think, is better at seeing the role that somebody can play outside of their like stereotypical role that most coaches are. Uh, and especially on defense, that's where he's excelled a little bit is being able to see players and how they fit in different positions. He might have lost some of that in the last handful of years, but like it, it's a thing that drives me crazy. It's always to take players and move them to the offensive line. Uh-huh. And vice versa. Yes. Move them to the defensive line. It just, it drives me fucking crazy that people are like, this is all that this person can do. This is all that this player can do is they can catch a two yard pass and they can try to run. They can't run a route. God forbid. I mean, they said the same shit about DK Metcalf, and now he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. <sighs> I'm not sure I totally agree with this take, but let's talk about Pete Carroll's team and their game this Sunday against the Green Bay Packers, which presumably will include Russell Wilson. And oh, hello. We knew it. We knew it right away. Right when they said that there was a chance of him coming back, it's like, you know those nanobubbles were, are working. The very fastest possible return date, Yes. Uh, Russell Wilson posted the video on Sunday night, was it? It was on Monday. Monday. Uh, was cleared to return to practice. Uh, Pete Carroll said the intention is he'll play Sunday if okay physically. Carroll also said on Monday that Chris Carson is expected back at practice on Wednesday after he did not practice on Monday. Uh, also eligible to be activated from IR after missing the last four weeks in his case. And D. Eskridge? Has been practicing, so we could see him. So the other question, well, I mean, there's a multiple other questions. We'll get to some of those. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., whether he'll be part of the Seattle Seahawks after being waived by the Cleveland Browns on Monday with a settlement that uh, changed it so he'd have a $7.25 million cap hit this season for a team that claimed him. He was placed on waivers. He cleared waivers Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific after Pete Carroll was coy about whether they'd put in a waiver claim on Monday, just saying, you'll see. Uh, do we have, do you have a take on the decision not to claim him off waivers? Uh, you were pretty passionate about the decision not to, so I was kind of deferring to you. Now we're at the point where, like, uh, would Odell have been upset if the Seahawks would have claimed him? I do not think that's the case. I mean, he clearly wanted the ability to choose his own destination, which is why they structured the contract with Cleveland the way they did going into waivers where it's not as big of a cap hit for Cleveland as it would have been for the team that would have claimed him. Uh, 
means I think there was there was an additional bonus that would have accelerated. I he's never been a free agent before. I think he clearly values this process. So I think there's I don't know that like he would have been like really disgruntled about it, but I also don't think he would have gotten an Odell Beckham Jr. who's as committed to the team is if he decides to sign with the Seahawks as a free agent. And when you add the fact that it's okay. also going to cost them presumably less money, I think those two factors, it would not have made is, sense. Is Odell Beckham going to not play as hard if he's not committed? To the, like, what does that mean? Yes, I think he might These are talking heads hard. points. which is so strange. And not the good kind of talking heads points. <laughs> is that like songs? Yeah. But it's David Byrne. I mean, again, Odell Beckham wanted to be a free agent. Like, I don't know why you would just be like, Fuck you, we're going to claim you. It's the same shit that you said last week about Oregon. It's just like, you know, if Jimmy, like, talks shit about Oregon and their academics, are they going to try harder? They weren't going to try as hard otherwise? Like, everybody who's playing football is going to play football to the, the maximum capacity of their abilities. I think there's a big difference between the Oregon football team's history of playing their hardest and Odell Buckham Jr.'s history of playing his hardest. In I don't game. know if we have evidence that he, he's not play, He might have been injured. How could you even quantify that Odell Beckham Jr. is not playing hard? Okay, well, at least we have evidence that he is unhappy, has been unhappy with his situations at times. He's unhappy with his situations at times. I don't think this is a reason not to bring him in, but I do think that might be a reason to not bring him in against his will. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I mean, I, when I, someone chooses you, they're way more committed to you than if you choose them I, against their will. I, I agree with that for the most part. And Did, so hopefully he still will as a free agent. That would be the best possible outcome. I agree. Uh, Josina Anderson reported that uh, Beckham will take some time and assess the best situation, while Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports reported he wants a team in playoff contention that features an offensive-minded head coach and a creative veteran quarterback Ooh. with a track record of success. <laughs> and he highlighted the potential fit with the Seahawks. Notably, he did not mention the Green Bay Packers as a possibility, which was surprising. There are so many reports out there about this and I, I trust very few of the sources. I think this is the type of situation where in until we know until it is borderline announced what's coming I don't think we can determine anything at this moment. There are not that many people with access to Odell Beckham Jr. There was a report earlier where it's like the Packers aren't coming as hard after Odell Beckham as, as other teams are and if they do come hard then he'll sign with them. It's just like I don't I don't buy any of this. Let's just wait and see with that one. However, on Odell Beckham Jr.'s ability to be a quality wide receiver for the Seahawks, there are a handful of reasons that, I mean, first and foremost, not to talk about stories outside of football, making Russell Wilson happy is the most important thing that this organization oh, can do. Yes. And if Russell Wilson wants Odell Beckham on the team, you go get Odell Beckham on the team. And that, to me, is more important than anything else, why it probably would have made sense to have brought him in, unless he specifically was like, I don't, I want to make this decision myself. Fair enough. The other piece, though, in the on-field performance, wide receiver ability does not exist in a vacuum. And I think that's why you see, like, if you look at DVOA or DR, you see these sort of, like, tandems of receivers. And wide receiver ability has to do with everything, similar to most of football, 
but probably more so than, say, a quarterback, has to do with the position that they're in. And that's why you see, like, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are very near each other. Tim Patrick and, and Cortland Sutton are very near each other. DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk are very near each other, right? Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. These are wide receivers who are in good positions, typically together. There's almost never kind of lone wolf wide receivers who are out there aside from Cooper fucking Cup. No, uh, but, like, wide receivers who who are good outside of their circumstances. And Odell Beckham Jr., while being on a roster with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, would have so many opportunities as a receiver. Stats outside, I don't think you can judge wide receivers outside of the quarterback that they're playing with and the offense that they're playing within. You don't see, I mean, you can look at this the top 10 receivers. Like, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater has been a good good quarterback statistically this year as well but it's like your fucking dr god stafford kyler murray aaron Rodgers, mahomes dak prescott joe burrow russell wilson tom brady teddy bridgewater like these are all good quarterbacks that these wide receivers are playing with you don't see wide receivers who are playing with bad quarterbacks having it's emmanuel sanders being the number one bills receiver which by the way what happened to stefan diggs uh the you don't see wide receivers who are playing with bad quarterbacks have that good of stats because they do not exist independently of their quarterbacks. And Baker Mayfield has not been a statistically good quarterback in his career. Odell Beckham Jr. Actually, has... Beckham, Odell, Beckham Mayfield has been a statistically good quarterback anytime Odell Beckham hasn't played, including last Sunday. Well, so, is that true? Yes. They've been a dramatically better offense when Beckham has been off the field. That's fine. I, I don't know if there is a big enough sample size to judge that, but the Odell Beckham in an offense with the Seahawks, like it is not a coincidence where Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are. It's because they're both very talented receivers, but it's also because they're both very talented receivers catching passes from Geno Smith. <laughs> CPOE gun, Geno Smith. <laughs> I'm very skeptical of Odell Beckham Jr.'s ability to produce at a high level. I... He hasn't done it since he was in New York. He's dealt with injuries since then. I'm not sure that he's the same player athletically that he was at that point when he was, you know, an exceptional outlier. That said, do I think that he's going to be better than Freddie Swain and D. Eskridge as the Seahawks' third receiver? Yeah, I, I think he would be better than them. So I do think it's worth the investment. And there did seem to be something about Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. that just did not click. Uh, Shield Kapadia, third Pelton brother, wrote about this for The Athletic last week noted that uh, when Mayfield targeted uh, Odell Beckham in Cleveland, 65% uh, of his throws were on target, a rate that ranked 90th among the 92 receivers with at least 100 targets over the last three seasons. So, Was he like going out of his way to target OBJ more? <laughs> well, not according to his dad. Uh -huh. Not according to Odell Beckham Sr. But like, I, is that how that would be? explained is that he's forcing passes well i think it's that like where odell beckham needs the ball is places that baker mayfield is incapable of delivering the ball and that there was some synergy between their skill sets that did not exist and that is not a thing i would worry about with russell wilson i i too would not worry about that with russell wilson i mean there are some places that russell wilson has that are holes in his ability to deliver the ball 
across the middle is not his strength of his game. Oh, he just hasn't been given the chance to. It's the same shit I was talking about earlier. They determined that Russell Wilson can't throw the ball over the middle. Therefore, they don't let Russell Wilson throw the ball over the middle. I do not buy that for a second. I mean, I think if Russell Wilson wanted to throw the ball over the middle, he could throw the ball over the damn middle. Sometimes his headset goes out and he gets to call his own play. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't call it that then. Oh, God. Were that the headset would permanently go out. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> maybe, maybe Dylan Morris is headset too. <laughs> I I have a gut feeling that if Dylan Morris's headset oh, went out, he would he table. would call some runs. <laughs> I don't think Dylan Morris has has the the confidence that Russell Wilson has oh, in Dylan his own Cook. abilities. <laughs> Jake Hayner, on the other hand, Definitely wow, spit up on that one. <sighs> All right, some good, some good news over the weekend. Between the combination of Russell Wilson's return, anticipated return, and the losses by other NFC teams over the weekend, the Seahawks' playoff odds on Football Outsiders went up 11%. There we go. Well, they were sitting at home on bye. Huge. Up to 44%. So now let's talk about Sunday when they play the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers set to potentially return from the COVID-19 list on Saturday. Uh, he said Tuesday on the Pat McAfee show, oh, among other non-controversial things. Was he? Was this this performance was a little bit less controversial? Uh, this was the there was a an element of oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, contrition. Uh huh. Yeah, I think there was an element of contrition there about his comments the previous week on the Pat McAfee show. His, his publicists talked to him, and they were like, you're this fucking close with State Farm, dude. <laughs> they were like, State yeah. Farm will back you as long as you don't do this again. Uh, he already lost the Previa Health, I think it was. They were like, you can lose Previa Health. That's okay. But there's real money that's out there, and you don't need to pop off so much as to lose all this money. But seriously, State Farm, why isn't Russell Wilson your joint spokesman with Patrick Mahomes all vaccinated? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, he said it is kind of strange that an insurance company, although maybe that's the gambit of insurance that they kind of prefer this, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if they do or they don't. I, don't, I think they don't actually. Uh, but it's car insurance. It's slightly different than home insurance. <laughs> it doesn't really, COVID-19 isn't a big factor for them. Roger said that he's planning to begin working out soon, but there's a small possibility, quote, that uh, he won't be able to play on Sunday. Matt LaFleur did say, obviously, that he would start. Yeah, we, we all watched Jordan Love play. Uh, and Pete Carroll said on Monday that they're <clears> planning <throat> for Rodgers. LaFleur also indicated Monday that the team will activate tackle David Bakhtiari from the pup list ahead of this week's deadline, but not sure he'll be able to return. Bakhtiari suffered an ACL tear in practice last year on New Year's Eve. And wow. played since. Uh, the Packers had a seven-game winning streak snapped with Jordan Love making his first career start at Kansas City on Sunday in place of Rodgers. Since the 38-3 loss to New Orleans and Jacksonville in week one, Green Bay had won four of the last seven by at least 10 points. The other three wins, all by three points or fewer, at San Francisco, at Cincinnati in overtime, and then the previous Thursday night at Arizona with Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and Marquez Valdez scantling all unavailable due to COVID-19 protocols. Unavailable. Uh, Packers still just 14th in DVOA entering Sunday in large part because of that week one blowout loss. They traded places with the Seahawks at that point and waited DVOA going from 14th to 12th. The offense was fourth with Rodgers at QB, but the defense just 22nd. They're still 11th in sack rate without Zadarius Smith, who's on IR due to a back injury, but have been particularly vulnerable on the ground, ranking in the NFL's bottom five by allowing 4.6 yards per carry. P. 
Pete Carroll's getting excited. All right. Uh, I mean, are we not going to talk about Aaron Rodgers in general? And this, I mean, I don't know what there is to say that, like, third Pelton brother Ben Baldwin posted the transcript, <clears throat> and that it spoke volumes all by itself. It without any context. I think that the Seahawks are catching the Packers in a place not as good as where the Chiefs caught the Packers. Clearly, obviously. Uh, we should definitely anticipate that Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing in it. There, there probably is an element of I. You would know this better than I did. I would of players returning, non-vaccinated players returning from COVID in the NBA, who were not as good as they were for a period of time beforehand. Is that true? I mean, this was obviously last season when no players were vaccinated. I, I mean, I think it really depended individual to individual. Some players you know, struggled with conditioning afterwards. I mean, Jason Tatum famously using an inhaler afterwards and saying that he was had a difficult time catching his breath. And other players, especially those who were asymptomatic, you know, returned as if it was it was not an effect on their performance. So I it's hard to predict, I would say. But there's definitely a chance that I, I think we can anticipate a slightly less than 100% Aaron Rodgers in this I game. I mean, the other factor is he just hasn't won't have had two weeks of practice. You don't generally practice on Saturday, the day before a game. So, and that's the first day that he can come back. Yes, I, you know, Aaron Rodgers is an experienced enough quarterback that. I mean, yeah, it's very different than like Carson Wentz, new to the Colts, playing losing the practice oh, time that he lost. I wish we could just play against Carson Wentz again. But like Carson Wentz is, I, I mean, he's never played well against the Seahawks. But Carson Wentz is playing shockingly well right now, and it actually seems like the Seahawks caught a break that they played the Colts in week one after he had missed so much of training camp. Yeah, but also it's Carson Wentz against the Seahawks. Come on! It's, it is. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to Devontae Adams is like, they don't need two weeks of practice to that figure is, that out. That is definitely I, true. I, but at the same time, I'm also... I think there's a good chance that Aaron Rodgers, after everything, is a step slower or just a little bit less sharp than he would have been otherwise. It doesn't somehow seem to affect the Packers at all because nothing seems to affect the Packers. It is weird. Like, it just somehow they find a way to win all these games, whether they're playing well or playing poorly. They just win games. And I think that that's the piece that is the most concerning. It's like the CX could potentially outplay them in this game. I think there's a good chance that the CX do outplay them in this game. But... They're just, they're the fucking Packers at Lambeau Field. Like, it's really hard to go into that situation, no matter, even if it was Jordan Love starting, and and feel confident, because it's just something we haven't seen. The last time that the Seahawks won at Lambeau was 1999. Uh, I'm going to go double check this, because I have not looked that up as yet. I mean, they're obviously 0-4 there during the Russell Wilson era, and 4-0 you know, against the Packers at home. Wow, 4-0 against the Packers at home. It's been a while. Uh, it has. And, and there have been some some of the most brutal losses. No, it hasn't been that long. It was the Thursday night game, right? At? In Seattle. The Thursday, like three seasons ago? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like last year, but it, it wasn't that long ago. I think they beat the like Packers and the Chiefs back-to-back or something like that. Maybe there was a Vikings game in there. Yeah, I don't think it was back-to-back, but it was it was certainly at the back half of the season. So, I was waiting for you to look this up. Uh, 
But also, some of those losses at Green Bay, there was the playoff loss that they had where there was a chance, couldn't make it happen. Uh, there was the Sunday night loss, which I believe ended Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll's streak of not losing a game by more than one score. Correct. Uh, they just, they have not fared very well there. You know, and I don't think a lot of teams fare very well there, but it's really difficult to look at the situation and feel confident going into it, given the history if they were going to steal a game against the Packers, and granted, Russell Wilson was gone for, has been out for the previous four weeks. It's not like he's coming in super sharp. Again, right. similar to Aaron Rodgers, he'll have this week of practice, but like similar to Aaron Rodgers, I'm, I'm not that convinced that Russell Wilson needs to have practiced for the previous three weeks to be able to throw the ball to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and hand the ball off over and over and over again. I mean, there's a certain rhythm element that I think in his case in particular, coming off an injury is probably going to be different. Uh, the Seahawks, by the way, have lost their last nine trips to Lambeau Field playoffs in regular season. And, and what year was it that they lost? It was 99. In 1999. Yep. Michael Un- Rins' first year as head coach. His first return. First team. year as head coach. Oh, my God. Okay. So right, I'm sorry. We, that wasn't even... Yeah, no, it was, yes. Whew. So, But... It, it's not a phenomenal Packers team, despite the record. They've been squeaking by a lot of these games. Uh, if the Seahawks can run the ball, if they can use a little bit of misdirection. I mean, in some capacity, I think we had to be a little bit impressed by the Seahawks with Geno Smith. We'll really see what the defense looks well, like. The Jacksonville win took on a whole different light, by the way, after the Jaguars went on to win last week. It was weird. I was thinking about it, and I was like... I feel like the the Jags win was like a game flow victory. You think so? I, I mean, the Seahawks crushed the Jaguars, but like we talked about it after that, statistically they went down DVOA after the win. Like they didn't. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. I mean, now that the Jags are good, yes. Uh, but like, it was one of those things where I just feel like couple of things went the Seahawks away and it just got out of hand early and it was kind of just one of those games I mean they it's not like the Bills defense didn't play well yeah it went from being their worst performance of the season to their best of the three games without Russell Wilson wow that's how much it changed that's wild because the Jaguars beat the Buffalo Bills yes um but I don't know that's it's not changing my perspective on the team like, I mean, for the whole season, yes, that that 10% shift in DVOA in that one game shouldn't affect that much over eight games, but it does affect that one game a lot. Uh, but I think, you know, Rodgers, one way or another, if the defense does play well in this game, we'll prob- they'll probably blame it some on Rodgers not being able to practice or coming back or whatever. But, like, this will be a huge test for them, you know, and it'll be a huge test for the secondary. I mean, we haven't... The Seahawks secondary hasn't faced a test like this since they've started playing well. You you look at the receivers that they played in those three weeks without Russell Wilson. There's nobody. There might not be in the NFL at the same level as Devontae well, Adams. They, they played Cooper Cup before then. I'm saying in that time period. But he's the anybody in the NFL as good as Devontae Adams. <laughs> Let the record out that Tristan is just staring at me blinking. The Cooper Cup is my Stanford now. <laughs> And Stafford too. God, I hate them. I think it's because I don't. I haven't ended up with Cooper Cup in fantasy in like four years. The one time that I had Cooper Cup in fantasy was when he hurt himself, uh, suffered an injury. But yeah, that was that was weird to say. Hurt himself. <laughs> it's like he slipped or something. Uh, I think if you like, 
when Gus Farad, well, I mean, this is an unfortunate situation to get a concussion, but when he like celebrated by headbutting the uh, the stanchion, the stanchion <laughs> and suffered a concussion, he heard, they, him, heard he himself. himself on that one. <laughs> Gus Farad. But if you're just playing football and you get tackled and you get hurt, you didn't hurt yourself. Yeah. The other person hurt you. The game hurts you. I, I agree. Also, your boy Stafford is down to fifth in DVOA, just if you're scoring at home. Where is he in QBR? The I don't know. He's probably still first. The, but if the Seahawks can move the ball a little bit in this game, hold the Packers. I mean, their offense has been good, but not amazing this season. The Packers offense, they're going to face Rodgers coming off of a week off. Like, I see this as there being a chance. Yeah, there's a path to victory. There, there's a real chance here. And... You know, ultimately, when you look at it apples to apples, the Seahawks have a better offense throughout the season that's still with three games with Geno Smith on the record. It's only one game with Jordan Love for the Packers. Like, I I think the Seahawks on a neutral field are a better team than the Green Bay Packers are. Will that translate on Sunday in Lambeau? I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. We've gotten into so many different aspects of the season with so many unknowns. The defense is still kind of an unknown because they haven't really faced a huge test since they've turned turned around or whatever. Like Russell Wilson is playing his first ever game back from injury. We have no idea what that'll look like. We don't know what's going on with Rodgers. It just it's been kind of a fascinating season <laughs> where so often we're kind of going into these games blind, but ultimately we know what a Pete Carroll game looks like. And they've all, except for that Jacksonville game, kind of been Pete Carroll games. And I think that is what we should probably expect in this one is it'll be a little bit ugly. It'll probably be close. Can the Seahawks do the arm's length thing that they can do occasionally when things go right? That Philadelphia Eagles thing that they do where they just they get that 10 point lead and never get rid of it. Or is it going to be chasing and then there's a drive at the end of the game? And I think those are kind of the two options here. Yeah, we've definitely seen both of those movies play out. We've only seen one of those movies play out in Green Bay, but we've seen both of those movies play out over the years. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's there's scenarios where they can win this game if the defense is, in fact, as legit as they've looked the last three weeks and can maintain that against a better quarterback or if Rodgers is not 100%. I would say about a 40% chance of victory, I think, going into this one. I'm going to say 45%. It's probably somewhere in that ballpark. Maybe between those two. Oh, I'm so excited to watch. <laughs> you say that now. But the first time Aaron Rodgers gets a free play. Oh, my God. Don't even. Oh. We'll see. We'll see what kind of Rodgers is out there. I I, I don't know. I, I'm visualizing myself celebrating in this game. <laughs> Not not that it's going to be at the end of the game, but just like those moments when they sack Rodgers and get off the field, right? Like, this is November football. You know what I mean? Like, this is fun. We haven't gotten to do this very much. It's been a while since we've gotten to have. It's like kind of cold. You know, it's getting dark out. This is this is post... It is the national game. We're going to have the, the A-team from CVS. I don't, I don't know when the last time Jim Nance and Tony Romo called a Seahawks game was. Oh my God, Romo's going to be... He's going to be everywhere in this one. It's fun, right? Like it is this is this is fun. It's post daylight savings football. It's going to be very dark in Green Bay. It's going to be dark in Seattle by the end of this game. Uh 
once. Let's hope we don't see the darkness. Or maybe I guess we do hope we see the darkness, but eventually see the light. It is Wilson versus Rogers, both of them coming back after missing time off in Lambeau Field. This is why we pay attention to football. Is it not? I guess it is. It certainly isn't to watch Aaron Rodgers press conferences. I I really but also we have such a clear villain in the situation too. Like the just having it be Aaron Rodgers, we always want to beat Aaron Rodgers, but there's an extra element now, right? Like you know that the shit that the Seahawks defense is gonna talk is gonna be just that much better, right? Like (laughs) I I am I think that these teams are going to be very amped up for this game, right? The Seahawks are coming off a bye. They're just like Pete Carroll, I don't know if it statistically plays out, but I think he's he's a better second half coach, and I believe that was once debunked on this very podcast. We're we're gonna get after it. He's a second half coach. This is this is his month though. Isn't November Pete Carroll's best month? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it is. I'd have to look it up. Like this is it's going to be fun to watch no matter what the situation. And there's a lot of stuff that we're going to learn. If the Seahawks come out with a victory, it's kind of hilarious that they're going to be four and five. And <laughs> if they were to win and be in a pretty good place for a playoff spot, with that being the case, I mean, it's incredible seeing the Falcons right now are in the playoffs and are currently, oh, they've, oh no, that's offense. I think they're 31st in DVOA, the Falcons, and are in the playoffs if the season started today. This is the future Roger Goodell wanted. So, the rest of the NFC, you know, you have the Vikings loss, you have the Falcons in the playoffs right now, you have the Saints with Trevor Simeon. Like, there's a couple of spots that are open right now, and the Seahawks have a window to sneak in, and they're talented enough that anything is possible. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.